Well, this morning, Pastor John is away. Well, we have the privilege of uh, receiving Pastor Larry Powers to come and open the word for us. Larry was here last year. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, and his lovely wife, Colleen, is here. Colleen is John's sister. So we're keeping it in the family uh, today. And so would you welcome Larry as he comes and opens the word? Go ahead and pass the baskets. I forgot to tell you that. Pass the baskets and welcome Larry. Thank you. Hey, good morning, Antioch Church. It is always such a great uh, blessing to be here and to share the Word of God with you. As John mentioned, uh, your pastor is, uh, I call him my brother-in-law, but he's my brother, he's my brother. That's how I call him. Uh, My wife, Colleen, is his oldest sister. Uh, She looks like the youngest one, but she's the oldest one. And uh, so it's been a blessing to watch John grow up, uh, fall in love with this beautiful lady named Kim, get married, have two amazing kids, uh, just to see what God's done in their life is pretty incredible. Uh, I'm proud of my little niece there. She's a good singer, too. We should give Courtney a big hand. She's going to Bible college. And John and Denise were students in my class, too, so it's always good to, to be with them. And when I walked in today, I, it's Garth Walker's back over here. He was a student in my class, and then uh, I didn't expect to see Kim, Kimmy, uh, 14. Yeah, she used to live with Colleen's grandma, and so she's like my sister. She's like family. Uh, I remember, she probably doesn't remember, uh, we did an outreach one time from Life Bible College back then down in New Mexico, and she was my translator down in Mexico, and so she's fluent. If, if you need a translator, she's the best. That's, that's how it is. So it's just a great blessing to be here uh, you are like family to us. Uh, we watch online. We pray for you every Sunday. We can't always be here, but uh, we're just grateful for you. Um, as John mentioned, I was a professor at Life Bible College, now Life Pacific College, for 22 years. Then God took us up to Oregon for three years to work with New Hope Christian College, uh, but he brought us back four years ago to work with the Bible College out in Diamond Bar, and we're so glad so that we can come and hang out with you guys from time to time. So if we haven't got a chance to meet you, we'd love to meet you after the service, and uh, just we, we pray for you. You are like family to us. Well, how many brought a Bible today? Let me see all of the Bibles. Okay, now I know I'm in the right place. Okay. Uh, please open in your Bible to Psalm 46. As I was praying about what the Lord would have us uh, study together today, he so strongly put on my heart to have us study A psalm together, Psalm 46, is one of the most favorite and beloved psalms in all of the book of Psalms, one of the most favorite and beloved chapters in all of the Bible. It is said that Martin Luther read this psalm and sang it almost every day uh, during his ministerial life. So impacting, so powerful is this psalm. And we want to study it together with you today so you understand it. It has meaning to you so that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year, you can go back to it again and again and again. For there is no psalm, there is no chapter in all of the Bible that so describes how God is a very present helper in your life and my life. And as we come to study the Bible together, I'd like you to do me a favor as we, as we pray. If you will hold up your open Bible in front of you. And let's just bow for a moment in prayer, can we? God, we thank you so much 
for the book we hold in our hands. Without question, this is the greatest book in the world. It is the greatest book in human history. There is no book like this book, for only this book is the word of God, the very breath of God. Other books may be good books, but this is a God book. This is a God-breathed book. Lord, we thank you so much that the Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you that the word of God is bread when we are hungry. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We thank you that your word is water to us than when we are thirsty. We thank you that though the grass may wither and the flower may fade away, the word of God will endure forever. We thank you that though heaven and earth will pass away, your word will never pass away. Lord, the most important thing we can ever do is to read and to study the Bible. And so we come today asking for your help. Lord, as we look at this short psalm, we pray your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts that we might know your truth and that knowing your truth, it might change the way that we live. For that will bless you, will praise you, and will thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About 110 miles to the south and the east of Salt Lake City, Utah, there is a town that is called Helper, Utah. And the origin of the name of that town is rather interesting. You see, many years ago in the era of the steam locomotive, steam locomotives, trains were zigzagging across the west and whenever a train would come to a very steep hill, a very steep mountain, it would be unable to make it up that mountain on its own. And so often at the base of the mountain, they would have a much larger, a much more mighty, a much more powerful locomotive that they called a helper. And they would attach the train to the back of the helper, and the helper then would pull that train up and over the mountain that it was facing. And in Carbon County, Utah, about 110 miles south and east of Salt Lake City, there is one of the steepest grades in the United States. It's called Soldier Summit. For 15 miles, it goes up and up and up and up until it reaches a height of 7,500 feet. And there were no locomotives on their own that could make it up that steep grade. And so at the bottom of the grade in this small town, there was a helper. And whenever the trains would come along, they would attach the train to the back of the helper, and the helper would pull that train up and over the mountain. And that little town, because of the helper there, became so famous for its helper that in 1881, the city council voted to name their little town Helper, Utah. I find in that 
picture, a beautiful illustration of us and God. Because if you haven't discovered it yet in your life, in the journey of your life and my life, there are many times where you will come to mountains, to circumstances and situations that seem so large and so huge and so steep that you on your own could never make it up. But if you will attach the train of your life to the helper of who God is, he will pull you up and over any mountain you will face. And this is what Psalm 46 is all about. It's a psalm that tells us that God is our helper. But to understand this psalm, you must understand the story behind the psalm. Now, you here at Antioch are not just those people who read the Bible. You want to know the Bible. You want to understand the Bible. So you know, as careful students of the Bible, one of the things you need to always do wherever you are reading is to know the background to what it is that you are reading. Then it will help you have understanding as to what it is you are reading. And behind Psalm 46, there is a story. It is one of the most incredible, dramatic stories in all of the Bible. It is the story of a king named Hezekiah and a ruthless enemy called Sennacherib. And so important is this story that it is recorded three times for us in the Bible. Now, if God records something one time, that's enough. But if God records something three times, then it's something you need to know about. It's something significant. The story's recorded for us in 2 Kings 18 and 19. It's recorded for us again in 2 Chronicles 32. And it's recorded yet again in Isaiah 36 and 37. It is an amazing story of how God can be our helper. You see, about 700 years before the time of Christ, in the southern kingdom of Judah, there was a king who came to reign. His name was Hezekiah. He was only 25 years old when he came to reign. And he was a good king. The Bible tells us that he turned not away from the word of God, but kept it in all that he did. And so because of that, the Bible tells us there was no king like Hezekiah before him, and there was no king like Hezekiah after him. And because he kept the word of God, God blessed and prospered everything that he did. But trouble was on the horizon. Because north of the land of Israel, there was a king named Sennacherib. He was the king of the Syrians, Assyrians, the dominant world power. He was the most powerful leader on the planet. And he was wicked, he was vicious, and he was ruthless. He came down into the northern part of Israel and he took into captivity the ten tribes of the north. He put them in chains. 
He put hooks in their nose. He skinned them alive. He piled their skeletons in a pile. And he took many of them away into Assyria. And then he set his sights on the southern kingdom of which Hezekiah was reigning. And he began to pick off the cities one by one. There were 47 cities. He conquered 46 of them. There was one city left, the city of Jerusalem, the city where Hezekiah was. And Sennacherib sent a massive army, 185,000 soldiers, and they surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and they sent a messenger into Hezekiah and the people. And here's what the messenger said, you think your God will help you? That's what everyone else has said. And look what happened to them. And the Bible says that Hezekiah tore his clothes and he went into the temple. He went into the house of God and he said, Lord, we need your help. And the Lord spoke through Isaiah the prophet and said, you go tell King Hezekiah, do not be afraid of what you hear for I will help you and I will deliver you. Well, Sennacherib decided he would step it up a notch, and so he wrote a threatening letter, and he sent it to King Hezekiah, and the letter said pretty much the same. You think your God is going to help you? That's what everyone else has said. And the Bible says that King Hezekiah, he took that letter. He went into the house of God, and he laid it out before the Lord, and he said, Lord, you see what they're saying? You see their threats. You see that they've surrounded us. And again, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah the prophet. Go and tell Hezekiah, do not be afraid of what you're reading because I will help you and I will deliver you. And so at the word of the Lord, King Hezekiah, he got all the people of God. They gathered together in the square, in the courtyard, before the temple of God. And Hezekiah raised his voice. And here is what he said to them. He said, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid or dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor of all the multitude that is with him. For there is more that is with us than that is with, with, with him. With him is the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God. He is our refuge. He is our strength. And he will help us. Well, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. That night, King Hezekiah and all of the people of God, they went to sleep. And when they woke up the next morning, they discovered that God had sent one angel that had destroyed all 185,000 of those soldiers. They had learned when God is your helper, you have nothing to be afraid of. They learned when enemies come against you that the Lord will help you, that the Lord will deliver you. And in the aftermath of that great victory and that great lesson, that Hezekiah and the people of God learned. Hezekiah wrote a song. It's Psalm 46. And the Jewish tradition tells us that later on, the sons of Korah were so moved by that song that they included it in the book of Psalm so that we could read it and we could understand it. What did Hezekiah write? Read now this chapter with new understanding, with new insight. Here's what Hezekiah wrote. 
He said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with us swelling, Selah, which means pause and think of that. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Stop and think of that. Come, behold the works of the Lord who makes desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God, says the Lord. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Pause and think of that. The key phrase in this song is that little phrase, a very present help in trouble. This psalm shows us that God is our helper. And there are three parts to the psalm. You can easily see them because of the little word, Selah. Selah means stop, pause, think of that. The scholars believe that it was a musical notation because this was a song, this was a psalm, and what would happen is you would come to the end of one verse and then you would have a pause where you would think about what you were singing, where you would think about what you were hearing. Then you would go on to the next one and then you would pause again and think about it. Then you would go on to the next one and you would pause and think about it. So there are three parts of the song, verse 1 to 3, verse 4 to 7, and verse 8 to 11. And what is so beautiful is each of those three parts give us a picture, a picture of how God is our helper. The first picture is the picture of a refuge. The second picture is the picture of a river. And the third picture is the picture of a ruler. God is our refuge. God is our river. God is our ruler. Three pictures of God that show he will help you, he will help me in whatever circumstance or situation we face. A first picture of God we see in this beautiful psalm is the picture of a refuge. Look again at verse 1. God is our, what? Underline it, circle it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, a refuge, that word 
meant a place of safety. Could have been like a cave you would run in. It could have been like a fortress you could run in. Could be like a city that you would go in and you would be safe. And for Hezekiah and the people of God, it was the city of Jerusalem. When Sennacherib and all the enemies were coming, they ran into the city of Jerusalem and closed the gates in behind them. And and for them, that was the place of refuge. But they learned that no earthly refuge will ultimately help you. They learned in the middle of that city that God would be their refuge. And the idea that God is our refuge is something that you find all over the Bible. If you're a note taker, you may want to jot these verses down. For example, Nahum chapter 1 verse 7, the Lord is good. He is a refuge in the time of trouble. In Proverbs 18 and verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are safe. In Isaiah 25 and verse 4, Isaiah says, O Lord, you have been our refuge, a refuge for the needy, a shelter in the time of a storm. When there was a storm of whatever kind, the people of God would run into God and he would be their refuge. He would be their shelter. It reminds me of the story of a great pastor in London. His name was Dr. Herschel Hobbs. He liked to go hunting, and one time he invited a friend to go hunting with him out in the countryside of England, and there they were out there uh, in the countryside when all of a sudden they were overtaken by a terrible storm. The sky grew black, the lightning began to flash, and the thunder began to boom. Hobbs' friend, he was afraid, but Hobbs looked at him and he said, follow me. And so they begin running down this narrow path. One way they would turn, then the other way they would turn. His friend is like freaking out, like, where are we going? What is going on? And the further they're going, the louder the thunder is getting, the darker the sky is getting. He says to Hobbes, he says to him, where are you taking me? Where are you going? All of a sudden, Hobbes grabs him and pushes him into a cave. He says, in here. And just when he did, the rain broke and began to Poor, like no rain he had ever seen. And Hobbes looked at his friend, and he said to him, I know you were afraid. He said, but I wasn't afraid, because I knew where the refuge was. I knew where the cave was. Do you know where the refuge is? Do you know where that place of safety is? Can you run into God in the storms of life and find that you are safe there? Or in the troubles of your life, in the troubles of the world, are you anxious and worried? Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, dear ones, there is a shelter in the time of storm. A hymn writer wrote a great hymn of our church. He wrote, the Lord is our rock, in him we hide. A shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever ill betide, a shelter in the time of storm. The storms may rage and round us beat, but we have a shelter in the time of storm. We'll never leave our safe retreat, the shelter in the time of storm. Our Savior strong, our refuge dear, a shelter in the time of storm. Be thou our helper, always near, a shelter in the time of storm.
God is our shelter. God is our refuge. And listen to me. He will be with you. He will be a refuge to you in the worst circumstances you can ever imagine. That's why the psalm goes on in verse 2 and 3. Verse 1 again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, even though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, is describing two of the worst natural disasters you could ever imagine, an earthquake and a tidal wave. And for the people of God, as they were reading this, there was a picture in their mind. As those 185,000 soldiers started marching toward the city of Jerusalem, the marching of all of those feet rumbled the ground. It must have felt like in Jerusalem there was a massive earthquake that was going on. As all of those soldiers came up and over the hills to surround the people of God, it must, look, must have looked like a tidal wave was coming down toward them. But they learned in the earthquakes of life, in the tidal waves of life, that there is a place of refuge, that there is a place of shelter, that there is a place of safety, and it is God himself. There is no other safe place than him. It amazes me. You know, people build buildings and think, you know, oh, this will withstand an earthquake. And then an earthquake comes. <laughs> and you find out it doesn't work. And people build buildings. Oh, if there was a tidal wave that ever happened, you know, I can build over there in Malibu and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, right. And then the waves come and you find out. But there's a place, listen, where you can build your life that no earthquake will ever shake you, that no tidal wave will ever move you. It's the safest place on earth. They tell us the safest refuge on earth is a place called the President's Bunker. Many years ago in the Second World War, Franklin Delano Roosevelt built the President's Bunker. With the advent of nuclear war, if there was a nuclear explosion, the President was killed, then we'd have no leader in the United States. We'd be in real trouble. So deep down under the White House... They built a bunker, massive walls, huge door, all kinds of food and water and things that the president needed. And that bunker's been rebuilt many times somewhere in the White House, under the White House. We don't know exactly where. But if there was ever a great catastrophe or emergency, the president would go down into that bunker and would be in what they call the safest place on earth. But dear ones, I'm here to tell you today there's a safer place than that. According to this book, the refuge that's the safest place on earth is the refuge of God himself. It's as Psalm 91 says, the Lord, the Lord is a refuge. He who abides in the shadow of the, mind, the Almighty shall dwell under his wings. It's a secret place. How many glad today that our God is a refuge like no other refuge? He will help us no matter what we're facing. All we got to do is run into him and we are safe. But there's a second picture of how God's our helper. Not just a refuge, but secondly, and interestingly, a river. 
This is what we see in verse 4 to verse 7. Notice verse 4 again. There is a what? Underline that. Circle that. Note that. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. What's that? The city of Jerusalem where they were. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. That's the temple where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. He will help her just at the break of dawn. Remember they went to sleep at night and they woke up in the morning and found that God had defeated all of their enemies. He will help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Notice verse 4 again. There is a river. There is a river that makes glad the city of God. Now, a careful student of the Bible, the minute they read that, that jumps off the page at them. And I'll tell you why. Because if you know anything about the city of Jerusalem, if you know anything about the land of Israel, one of the most interesting things about it is the city of Jerusalem was not built by a river. Most of the ancient cities were built by a river as a source of their water. But there is no river by the city of Jerusalem. But they did have a water source to the south and the east of the city of Jerusalem. There's a spring. It was called the Spring of Gion. And every day, all throughout the day, the people of God would go out of the gates of the city. They would get water from the spring of Gion, and they would bring it back in, and it was the source of their water. So what is this talking about? There is a river. Well, I'll tell you what it's talking about. An amazing picture, an amazing truth. Hezekiah knew that Sennacherib was going to come and surround the city. And if any adversary were to cut people off from their water source, all they'd have to do is wait them out. So if Sennacherib came out and knew that the water source was there, he would separate them from it, and then it would only be a matter of time until he could go in and attack them. So Hezekiah, knowing he was coming, did something amazing, something so ingenious. He got engineers to dig a tunnel from the spring of Gion up under the walls of Jerusalem and into the city. They did it in two teams. They started digging right straight down from the city of Jerusalem and then over to the spring of Gion. And then some started from the spring of Gion and dug toward the other ones. They dug, listen to me, through solid rock, they dug a tunnel 1,750 feet long. And here's the miracle. They met together right in the middle. It's a feat of engineering that still astounds our modern engineers today. And what they did is as the water would come up from the spring of Gion, it would go through this tunnel. It's now called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And then they could get water. They covered the spring of Gion. So when Sennacherib came, he thought, oh, they have no source of water. We'll just wait, wait them out. But he kept waiting and waiting and waiting. He didn't know. He didn't know. They had a secret river. By the way, you can go to the city of Jerusalem and you can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. I've done it. It's about two and a half feet wide, about six feet tall, pitch black, three feet of water. If you're claustrophobic, don't go in there. It's amazing. I've walked through it and all the way I thought, there is a river. There is a river 
that makes glad the people of God. It's a secret supply that no one knows about. There are many Bible teachers who think that the Apostle Paul had this picture in his mind when he wrote Philippians 4 and verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever you need, listen, God's your helper. He's going to be that secret river that brings to you health and healing and financial provision and whatever it is that you need. And especially, listen to me, especially to you, God will be a river of peace. He will bring to you a peace that passes All understanding. People will look at you and say, I don't understand how you can have such peace. On Friday at the church we're a part of, we had a funeral for two young girls, one 18, one six years old. The family was headed to Northern California in two different cars. Their 18-year-old daughter was driving three of her sisters. She fell asleep at the wheel. The car rolled. Two of the daughters were killed, 18 and six, and two of them survived. And they stood at the funeral and talked about the peace of God. How God can give you a peace that passes all understanding. It's a secret. The world doesn't know about it. They don't understand it. But God will bring it to you. There was a great hymn writer named Frances Havergal. And she fell deathly ill. It looked like she wasn't going to survive at all. Thankfully, God miraculously touched her and she came back to health. And in those dark days of wondering whether she would live or die, God gave her such a peace. She wrote a blessed hymn of our faith. She wrote a hymn called, Like a River Glorious. She wrote these words, Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Overall victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth, fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth, deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. God is our helper. He will be to you a refuge. You can run into you. And he will be a river to you, a secret supply. But a third thing we see in this psalm is that God is not only a refuge and a river, he is a ruler. This is what we see in verse 8 to verse 11. Look at verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who makes desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. In other words, he's the ruler. He's the Lord over nature and over the nations. He's sovereign. He rules and reigns on high. The Jews, even to this day, when they pray, they pray, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. Oh, dear ones, I've come with a good word for you today. God is still on the throne. He's the Lord over nature. He's the Lord over the nations. He's the Lord over your life. And he's the Lord over my life. This idea that God rules 
over nature, that God rules over the nation. You will find this all over Scripture. For example, in Isaiah 40, God says, To whom will you liken me, says the Lord, and who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look at all that I have created, and behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. When you're worried and anxious about what's going on in your life, just look at the ruler of the of, of the stars. Look at the ruler of all nature. Look at who's sovereign over the nations. In Isaiah 46, God says, Thus says the Lord, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand. That's why David says in Psalm 103, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Listen, when you know God is sovereign, when you know your life, is in the hands of the king of the universe. Listen, it makes all the difference in the world. Your heart can be at rest. Your heart can be at peace. That's why verse 10, all verse 10, you have it circled in your Bible, the star in your Bible. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And God's not only exalted in the nations and in all the earth, he's exalted in your life, in my life. And when you know he's your ruler, it makes all the difference. The story is told of a sweet, godly lady named Agnes Smith in World War II. She lived in London. And all night, every night, the Nazi Germans were bombing the city of London. And so every morning in various neighborhoods, the people would get together and just make a count to make sure everybody had survived the bombing the night before. And in the neighborhood that Agnes Smith lived, one morning after the bombing, they began to see, okay, who's here? Is everybody here? And they discovered that Agnes Smith was unaccounted for. So they began to search here, there, and everywhere. And finally, they found her. They found her asleep in her bed. And they woke her up and they said, how in the world could you sleep in all of this bombing thinking that you might not survive? How in the world could you sleep? I love her answer. She said, well, you know, the Bible says that the God who keeps his people, he never sleeps or slumbers. She said, I knew God was going to be up all night, so I just decided to go to bed and sleep. (laughs) I like that. That's what Hezekiah and the people of God did when the word of the Lord came to them. Don't be afraid of these enemies. The Lord is on your side. They just went to sleep, and they woke up the next morning to discover God's our helper. He's our ruler. He's in charge. There's nothing that escapes him. I like how this psalm ends. Such a beautiful ending to this psalm. Notice in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. We can be still and know that he is God if we know the Lord of hosts is with us. Now, this isn't any church. This is Antioch Church. So I know all of you don't just read through the Bible. You study the Bible. 
you look at the Bible carefully, and you have a question, and here's the question. What does it mean, the Lord of hosts? What hosts are being talked about here? Well, there's some Bible teachers who think it refers to the stars of the heavens, because sometimes they're called the host. Uh, for example, in Isaiah 46, in verse 26, it says that God brings out the hosts of heaven. He has them numbered in name. God knows how many stars there are, and he has a name for every star. That's a pretty awesome thing. Though that could be what this means, most often the Lord of hosts, the hosts refer to the angels, to the holy angels. And in this setting where there was one angel who destroyed the enemies of God, clearly that's what it's talking about here. The Lord of hosts, the God of the angel armies, the army of angels. Now as a pastor, as a teacher of God's word, I'm sometimes asked by students, Pastor Larry, how many angels are there? My answer always is, I don't know, but a lot. (laughs) More than we can count or conceive of. In Revelation chapter 5, the apostle John saw them, and he said, when I looked at all of the holy angels, they were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now that might not mean so much to you, but if you're a careful student of the Bible, then you know, wow, that's amazing what he's saying. Because in the language in which John was writing, 10,000 in Greek was the largest number they knew. So he says, take the largest number I know, multiply it again by the largest number I know, and then add thousands of thousands. It would be like saying, I saw them, and they were a gazillion times a gazillion, and zillions a zillion." And all of those angels are at God's disposal for you and me. He sends them to protect you and me. He sends them to help you and me. One of the great missionaries, John G. Patton, knew that for sure. He and his wife went down to the New Hebrides to try to minister to a group of cannibals. And they carefully tried to share the gospel with these cannibals day after day to no effect. And then one day when he was sharing the gospel with them, all of a sudden, the whole tribe of them came to faith in Christ. But what happened? And so he began to ask them a question. How come before you weren't responsive and now all of a sudden every one of you respond? And the chief told him, he said, well, you may not know, but last night we came to attack the tent where you were and to kill you and eat you. But when we came up onto your tent, We saw all of those men there. They were surrounding your tent. And John Patton said, what men? He said, it was just me and my wife. He said, oh, no, no, no. There were these very tall men. They were shining bright. They had these shields and these huge swords. So we ran away. And when you came and gave us the message today, we knew you must be from God. And so we all responded. Immediately, John Patton thought in his mind of Psalm 91, verse 11. He will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all of your ways. And the Lord, listen, the Lord will do that. But as wonderful as that is, as amazing as that is, I'll tell you something even more amazing. Because you're a careful student of the Bible. And you're looking at verse 11 again. Everybody look at verse 11 again and notice what it says. It doesn't say the hosts of the Lord are with us. That's pretty awesome. Here's what it says. The Lord of hosts. 
is with us. That's even greater. It isn't just the hosts of heaven. If one angel could destroy all of the enemies of God in one night, think of what the multitude could do. But think of what the God of the angel armies can do. Think of how mighty and powerful He is. He is the one who is with us. I like how the great commentator John Phillips described it. He said, think of it, the Lord of hosts is with us. The mighty Jehovah who commands all the countless ranks of angels is on our side. One angel in one night could smite all Sennacherib's hosts. Right now, all the angels of God are mustered around his throne, ready to do his bidding, ready to rush to our aid. But the good news is better than that. Psalm 46 does not just say that the hosts are with us. It says the Lord of hosts is with us. And what more could we ask than that? Think of it. The Lord of hosts is with you at the kitchen sink. The Lord of hosts is with you as you drive through rush hour traffic. The Lord of hosts is with you as you go to an unbearable job and face an impossible boss. The Lord of hosts is with you in your desperate marriage and family situation. The Lord is with you in your current financial struggle. The Lord is with you in your loneliness and weakness and failures. The Lord is with you in your faults and troubles. The Lord of hosts is with you. He is with me. What a wonder. What a marvel. And I agree. (laughs) I agree. Our God is a ruler. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's ruling over all nature. He's ruling over the nations. And your life and my life are right in his hands so we can be still. We can be still. And we can know he is God. The Lord is a very present helper. Today, as you think of this psalm, tomorrow as you think of this psalm, next week as you think of this psalm, next month as you think of this psalm, next year as you think of this psalm, always remember and never forget, God is a very present helper. And when you come to circumstances and situations that are so mountainous and you don't think you could ever Get up and over those things. All you have to do is to attach the train of your life to the helper of who God is, and you'll find out he's a refuge, he's a river, and he's a ruler. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for our study today. We thank you so much for this great psalm. What an amazing chapter in the Bible. Lord, as we have studied today with new eyes, with new understanding, we pray the things that we've learned will linger in our minds and our hearts. Lord, I pray for all those who have gathered together with us. We really believe no one who's here by accident this morning. You have had all of us here to study and hear your word. For those, Lord, who are facing circumstances and situations that seem utterly impossible. We pray, Lord, you would help them. Whether it's financial trouble or trouble in their health, trouble in their family or marriage, trouble on their job, we thank you, Lord, 
that you're a very present help. Lord, as we just take a moment to respond to you, to respond to your word today, touch each heart, Lord, touch each life. Lord, we thank you for Pastor John and Kim. We thank you for Antioch Church. Thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do. Continue to bless, Lord, in a great, wonderful, and awesome way. We thank you so much and praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.